Before digging into the book of Daniel, I just wanted to refer to a book called Man's Quest for Meaning. And it's written by a man called Frankel. And he was a man who suddenly found himself in Austria with the Nazis invading. And he was given a uh, I guess a visa or a ticket out of of Austria to get to America. But uh, he decided he wanted to stay and look after his elderly um, mum and dad, which consequently meant that when the Nazis arrived, they took him and took him into a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, he he had no paper, he had no pens, but he, he made it his discipline to observe not why people died, but why people survived. And then, having survived the concentration camp himself, he remembered all of his notes and wrote them down, and it became this incredible book, Man's Search for Meaning. He wanted to understand why people survived. And one of his most important observations was this. Forces beyond your control, can take away everything you possess, except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you feel and do about what happens. So that's his profound observation. And the book of Daniel kicks off really with uh, Jerusalem besieged by Babylon and a man called Daniel who has no control over the circumstances around him is taken into captivity. Daniel, part of the nobility, must be part of the royalty, has all of that stripped away And suddenly he finds himself in a country he did not choose, doing a job he did not apply for, serving a king who was his captor, his oppressor, but he's called to serve him. So it says in in chapter 1 of Daniel, In the year of the reign of Lokakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylons, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jerkim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered, um, I wish I could uh, pronounce some of these names, Esphenes, <laughs> king uh, or chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So Daniel, part of this nobility, part of this royalty, suddenly finds himself uh, taken from Jerusalem, taken into Babylon to serve the king. And I want to talk about how Daniel not only survived, but he emotionally thrived. And actually how Daniel not only survived, he influenced a whole kingdom with a revelation of who God is. 
And it says in verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And I want to talk about life-giving resolutions, which is interesting. It's January. I don't know how many of you make resolutions at this time of year. I'm sure this week in the gym it will be packed with many people (laughs) who have made life-giving resolutions to get fit in 2017. And unfortunately in February it won't be so busy because most of those people will drop off at the end of January only to reappear again in the summer where they're working on their beach body. (laughs) That's the way it works in the gym. That's the the pattern. But Daniel was a man of life-giving resolutions. You could take Daniel out of his nation, Jerusalem. You could take him into a country he didn't choose. You could make him a captive. But he chose how he would respond to the situation. Daniel resolved. His resolution around the king's food was, in his conscience, he felt that eating the king's food would damage him in some way. He always maintained his freedom to choose. He's a man of fearless resolve. We discover after a while he's serving the king, he's interpreted dreams, which we'll look at in in, in weeks to come. He is established in that kingdom. And then there's news that anybody who worships God is going to be thrown into the lion's den. The real threat of execution. Anybody who worships God is going to be thrown into the lion's den. And again we receive, we read a fearless resolve on his willingness to not move on, unwillingness to move on anything, even a change in the law. And it says, if you look at chapter 3 and verse uh, 18, he says, but even if we... Your Majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. He, he resolves, he will not move from what he has said he is committed to. He has fearless resolve. So even the threat of the lion's den in chapter 6 and verse 7. And so basically the people around him can see that Daniel is a faithful man and they want to get rid of him. And so they could, so it says in verse 4... They could not find, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will, we will <coughs> never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and, 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 and satraps went as a group to the king and said, my king Darius, live forever. The royal ministers... Uh, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repeated, repealed. So King Darius put his decree in writing. So he's in this situation and there's a decree that says um, if, you, if, you, if people don't worship you, king, then they need to be executed by thrown into the lion's den. Now Daniel hears about the decree and then it says in verse 10, 
Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, so he's learned it, he went home to, to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. This is, this is incredible. This, this guy has just heard news that you worship God, you're going to be executed. Put ourselves in his shoes. You might be thinking, oh yeah, I can worship, I'll decide that I'll worship Darius, but I'll just do it externally, but my heart will be not in. But Daniel has such resolve and conviction that he says, I will not serve your gods. Even the threat of the lion's den could not move him from life-giving habits. He continued to be a man of conviction. I want to understand this man, Daniel. I want to understand what makes him tick. I want to understand where he draws his strength from. Exactly like Frankel says in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, you can strip everything away from a man like Daniel. You can take away his royalty, you can take away his nobility, you can take away his freedom, you can take away his culture. You can imprison him, you can threaten him with the furnace, you can threaten him with the wolves. And this is a man, whatever you threaten with him with, he will remain with firm conviction, life-giving habits. He will continue to do what he has resolved to do. Daniel would be the kind of guy who would join the gym in January and still be going the following Christmas. If he felt it was a resolution he needed to do, he's the guy who's going to stick to it. If he felt in his heart he didn't want to eat the king's food, He's going to stick to it. He's going to reason. And I want us to not miss how profound this is. So he goes to God. He does this three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed. He gave thanks to God just as he had done before. These men then went as a group, and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So it's not about where we, I'm not talking about facing Jerusalem. I'm not even talking about praying three times a day. I'm not talking about copying what Daniel did, but I'm talking this morning about copying a man of resolution and resolve who knew that his source of strength, that his source of courage, that his source of conviction, his source of capacity to keep going was his life-giving resolution and conviction that he needed God. How that happens, that happens in many different ways, and we'll talk about that later, but his life-giving conviction is this, God rewards those who earnestly seek him and, and acknowledge that he exists. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. That's what Daniel understood. He understood Hebrews 11 before Hebrews 11 was written. He understood that God exists and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him, that God is a rewarder. And if we want to understand the fact that he doesn't get overwhelmed with self-pity, he doesn't get overwhelmed with discontentment, he doesn't get overwhelmed with discouragement, if we want to understand where his trustworthiness and faithfulness comes from, 
if we want to understand that his ability to suffer and still have hope, we have to see that he had life-giving habits, that he had decisions and habits that were actually bigger than his circumstances. And at the core of it is this, God was Daniel's delight. God was Daniel's delight. He's like a Psalm 2 kind of guy. He is a man planted by streams of water that bears fruit in season. You know, he's the kind of guy you can, he could be in drought, in plenty. He's always got streams of water. He's always drawing upon resources that are invisible to everyone else. He has a reason to live and that reason is God. God was not a burden to him. God was not a burden to him. It wasn't that, oh no, I'm in Babylon and if only I didn't have my heritage and history then maybe I could fit into Babylon. He didn't resent God. He didn't see God as a burden. He didn't see God as a pressure. He didn't see God and, and, and the culture of following God as something he had to carry. God was his delight. He prayed three times a day. It's just something he did. I love this phrase here. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Amen. Just as he had done before. See, see, for many of us, we go through life, if we're not careful, ignoring God, and then we hear the report that they're going to chuck people in the lion's den who worship God. And then in practice, we run to God in panic for God to do some magic and a miracle and just do something about it. We're looking for the one big moment. But it says that Daniel did as he had done before. That when the pressure hit and it was life and death, Daniel's life was built around life-giving convictions, life-giving resolutions. He didn't have to suddenly create a strategy to cope with the pressure of the lion's den. He just did as he had done before. And if you know that when you're under pressure and it's challenging and difficult, you don't think straight. It's hard to come to wise, good conclusions. Panic kicks in, adrenaline kicks in. You need life-giving practices and habits, things that you have done before, that you just do them again. And that's what Daniel did. Whatever they're threatening, whatever the cost, I'm just going to do what I've always done before, three times a day, I'm coming to God, I'm giving thanks, I'm drawing on strength, I'm going to delight in God because he is my delight. So it wasn't just one big moment it's a life of thousands of choices. Life is about thousands of choices. It's not about the one big moment on January the 1st where we make a resolution and have a new conviction. It's about the thousands of choices that we make throughout the whole year. That's where momentum comes from. Real life-giving momentum of enjoying connection with God, of, of, of conviction that leads to overflow, does not... Um, you come from just the one moment, the one encounter. It's the, it's the choice we make again and again and again to do what's right and not what's easy again and again and again. That's what gives your life momentum. 
That's what gives your life momentum in your pursuit of him and your desire to be an influence wherever you go. And so I want to talk, as we land this, what are we going to do? Because God's heart is this. He's not looking for people to just push through and and kind of soldier on and bottle up. He's actually looking to come alongside each and every person and give you life-giving convictions, life-giving resolutions, life-giving practices that connect you to the reality that is a generous, generous God. That God is more passionate about meeting with you than you are passionate about meeting with him. I have personally have a number of resolutions that I make, uh, not resolutions, uh, declarations that I make every single day of the, the week if I can. And one of them is this, just sets me up. Today I recognise that God wants to be with me actually more than I want to be with him. He's the one pushing in on me. I just have to position myself to receive. See, that's the heart of God. It's like he's a waterfall of grace and kindness and love and tenderness and gentleness and empowerment and help. And it's all the time pushing in on us. And our resolutions and our convictions and the things that we do again and again and again, the things that we practice, position ourselves under a waterfall of grace. Grace is opposed to working to receive it, but grace is not opposed to effort. So you cannot earn grace. The waterfall flows because it's kindness and goodness, it's a free gift. The effort is we position ourselves underneath the flow of grace. We avail ourselves of what's being poured out and what's available. And Daniel understood that in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of a nation he didn't choose, a job he never chose, a boss he never chose, he understands that there is grace that's flowing, there's a God who gives grace, and he avails himself of that grace again and again and again. So God is looking... For each of us, if we haven't got them already, to have life-giving habits that connect us to grace. Life-giving practices, life-giving priorities, things to practice that restore our soul, things to practice that produce joy, things to practice that give us life, things to connect us to the reality that he's more eager to meet with us more than, he, than, more than we want to meet with him. Practices like, I need God, so I have time with God every single day. And it doesn't have to look the same for every single person. For some of you, it will look like my time with God is we chat on the way to the bus. For others of you, time with God will look like a walk in a field or walk in the country. For others of you, you'll be thinking, right, my time with God, I've got opportunity, I've got space, my life allows it. Um, It's going to be me uh, uh, singing and worshipping to God for an hour. It's going to be me praying and exalting and enjoying God. It's going to look unique and it's going to look different to every single person. But if you know there's a waterfall of grace available, if you know that there's a God who rewards those who seek him, who believe he exists and seek him, then then it's foolishness not to have a life-giving habit where you connect to that reality day after day after day. 
And those habits evolve and they change and you alter them and, and you, you let the Holy Spirit shape them, talk to you about them, let the Holy Spirit teach you what it means for you in this moment, in this season, what you need from God. It's going to look different all the time. Allow God to mould what that looks like, to shape what that looks like, to speak into what that looks like. So for me, from October through to Christmas, connecting to God daily meant I, I it pretty much stopped praying and I just gave myself to worship. Felt the Holy Spirit just say, you know, come on Jamie, we're pr- there's a lot of repeat in these prayers. <laughs> there's a lot of worrying out loud in these prayers. There's a lot of unbelief in these prayers. There's a lot of going around the mountain again and again and again. I need to wean you from that. And the way I'm going to wean you from that is we're just going to worship. We're just going to worship and do go. And then afterwards you can feel the spirit lead. And then sometimes you think, actually, I want to pray some of these things out. And you just and you say, yeah, now, yeah, it's right to pray it out now. Because you're in a different place. Your heart is in a, in a place where you're going to be able to pray these things out. Because, because through worship you've had an encounter with God and you've seen how big God is. And sometimes the things that you would have prayed at the beginning are not what you want to pray at the end of worship because it doesn't seem that important anymore and you've got an answer in who God is and what God has promised. So I'd say find what works for you to connect to God. Community. Just talking about life-giving practices. Daniel did as he had done before. Connecting to community... For some people in London is really, really challenging. I know that some of you have commutes that might be an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back, and then going to a community group and connecting them that way just seems impossible. For others of us, it's just that we haven't got a life-giving practice of walking deeply with other people. Community is a core way that you access the flow of grace that's coming from God and flowing every single day. That is actually not okay when it's just good between you and God. That part of salvation is a connection to God and a connection to a people and a connection to a family. That, that life flows through relationship. Life flows from the wisdom from another person. That it's just not me and God hearing things. It, it's, it's me in a community hearing God through brothers and sisters, sharing life together and getting wisdom. It can be that you just know that you can't get to something in the evening, but you connect somehow. Maybe you just know there's a bunch of you all get the same train from Plumstead or Woolwich or wherever. You just meet at the station and you begin to actively com- just share your heart, what's God doing, you get the same bus together. You get Maybe it's you can't get to something on a, on a midweek evening, but you can connect to a bunch of people and you can get on a WhatsApp thing and you can begin to share your life and hear and be encouraged. Connect to community. Make it a life-giving part of who you are. Can I, this, I, I want to say this with, with life-giving convictions are just the things we just do all the time. It's not the things that we do when we're in crisis. It's the things that we just do all the time. Daniel just did as he had done before. You threaten him with the den, he's going to worship, pray three times a day. I think there's a danger in our world right now where we're so individualistic, we only connect to what we feel we need when we need it. 
And so when we're in crisis, we want to commit, connect to community, we want to connect to church. And then when we wake up maybe on a Sunday morning, we think, actually, I'm okay. I feel okay, my issues are sorted, provisions there, it's okay. And then the next time crisis comes, we think, I want to connect again. Now that, that is actually completely selfish, because you're robbing the church of your gift, and you're, and you're only responding out of survival. You're, going, you're living from crisis to answer, to crisis to answer, to crisis to answer, when God wants to cause there to be a, an abundant supply of grace, where you are more than just surviving, you're thriving, and you're more than just getting through, you're becoming an influence. And so when you look at Daniel, he influences the culture, he influences them through the way he loves and honours the king, and Tim talked about it in a couple of weeks' time. But underneath it, if you were to lift the engine on Daniel's life, he just does the same thing again and again and again. He doesn't really oscillate between, I'm fine, crisis, I'm fine, crisis. He just does the same thing again and again and again. And I, and I think that part of the problem in our culture right now is the idea of the, of the, of the, of the magic moment that's just going to sort it all out. We're a culture that believes that, that I can go from unknown by nobody to I can win the X Factor and become a, a superstar in 12 weeks. We're, we're the, we don't have a value for, for what other generations have of grit, of determination, of sacrifice. We're looking just for, just make it easy. We're looking for, just give me a touch, God. And that's a danger, I think, for charismatic churches. We can just think it's all going to happen in just a touch from God. And there are the suddenness of God. There are the wonderful interventions and breakthroughs. I've had many of them. But there are also just the moments where we say, this is my life-giving practice, this is my life-giving priority, I'm just going to do as I've done before. And I think giving yourself to community, giving yourself to worship, giving yourself to serving, giving yourself to saying, I'm going to serve that serving gives your life momentum like nothing else. That God can get hold of your life and steer your life into the, into the unique purpose through the momentum that faithful serving does. I found it again and again and again that through faithful serving, God gets hold of your life and he'll bring specific direction. He'll show you things that you never ever would imagine just through faithfully serving. Generosity. Just to say, well done everyone for giving into the a neutral ground offering before Christmas. We've raised just over £400 and that generosity is, is, is just a life-giving practice. To be a generous person, to be a generous person with your time and with your finance and with your energy is a life-giving practice. I just give. And I, I think that there's something powerful about for, for us personally, a, a personal conviction right from the beginning of our marriage is this. We give first to God before anything else. And when we had a lot and when we had nothing, we give first to God. It's a life-giving uh, principle and it's a life-giving practice. I have a culture in my heart. I want to be generous. I want to sow into the things of the kingdom. It's just what I do. Otherwise we can again move between times when we have it, we give, and times when we don't, we stop giving. But when it's just a life-giving practice, this is what we do. It gives our life momentum. 
I personally, like I said, will, will, will speak a number of declarations a day because I believe life and death is in the power of the tongue and I need to hear good news to steer and anchor my whole life. I do that every day. Um, I will have in each week at least two to three occasions of journaling where I write just, I want to investigate a topic and I'll just write every verse I can think about on it and write God's response and asking questions and, and hear the Holy Spirit give answers. I, I create practices all the time. My latest practice is I listen to an audio Bible, read Romans 4 to 8 every day. I just do that because I don't need to think. When I've just woken up in the morning, I don't want to be creative. I just want a coffee. <laughs> and I st- stick it on and I hear slightly robotic voice <laughs> reads me Romans 4 to 8. Before Christmas, there was a book that I read. It was a tiny book, 30 pages. I wanted to read that book at least once a week, sometimes three times a week. I found it was life-giving and bringing revelation. I want to find things that are food to my soul. And I'm creative, I move on those things all the time. Where's the life? Where's the life? What's the practice going to be? So these things are not a, a, a tick list. They're not just tick off and accomplish it, you know, tick. I've listened to the Bible, tick, I've made declarations, tick, I've prayed, tick, I've worshipped. These are all things to live availably to God. These are all things to live availably to God. Not a one-time choice, but building into priorities that become food for your soul. So I want to finish with this. is: Do you have, this year, spiritual non-negotiables? Do you have spiritual non-negotiables? I gather with the church to worship on a Sunday morning. Whenever it's in my capacity and my power to do it, that's a spiritual non-negotiable. I serve the local body and, and I, I just get, whether it's the toilets or the coffees or, or, or my gift, I just, I just serve. It's a spiritual non-negotiable. I give is a spiritual non-negotiable. These are life-giving convictions. Or is it when forces beyond your control come they steal everything from you and even your ability to choose. I'm just aware that in this area it's interesting the things that impact are quite powerful compared to other areas we've lived in. For example, when you hear visa rules change, a huge thing that impacts many people here. You're in the country, you're living, you're working, you've made a life for yourself and then suddenly you hear the visa rule has changed. And my visa needs to be renewed. And I'm not sure if it's going to be renewed. And I'm not sure where I'm even going to live in the next three months. Sometimes it can be for some of us. You just hear the, the, the landlord say, I'm just changing your rent. I want another £100. I want another £150. I want to... I, I just want to make more money on my property. And you're thinking, can I afford that? And sometimes people have been impacted by the landlord just wants to sell. Sometimes it can be rumours at work. Someone's talking saying they're laying off people. There's rumours at work. Sometimes it can just be a bill that you didn't expect to come through. And uh, I think it's in a couple of weeks' time, isn't it? Blue Monday, when the, when the new visa bill comes out. The most, second most depressed day of the whole year for the country. 
it's Blue Monday when, when the, the credit card bills for, Jan- for December come in, and the other day is the, the, the first Monday after the bank holidays in August when people think it's the last bank holiday of the year. But well, is it that bill that comes in and you think, I didn't expect that? Or is it when the washing machine just doesn't work and you think, i need got a load of washing to do? There can be things that come and feel beyond our control. In those moments, do you just chuck every life-giving conviction away? Or do you do as Daniel did? Daniel just did as he had done before. Just did as he had done before. When all these things impacted him, he just said, no, I've got this life-giving habit. He didn't run around like a headless chicken. And I think when we don't have practices, that's what we do. We go into panic mode and freak out. But when we just got life-giving practices, it, 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 it centers us on God. It slows us down. So let me encourage you this week to build your life around the priorities that connect you to God like never before. That while spiritual growth is a grace gift of God, you have to purposely plan and intentionally connect to it. It just doesn't just happen. You have to have a plan and a focus. You, you have to have a plan and a focus. You have to completely, every day, remind yourself that God means so much to me. I have to connect. And let me say this. I rarely ever feel that I want to journal. I rarely ever feel that I want to listen to Romans 4 to 8. (laughs) I rarely ever feel that worshipping God right now is the thing I particularly want to do. I I honestly rarely ever feel any of it. The practices are just what I do. If I waited till I felt it, honestly, I don't know... I don't think there's many days in the year that I really want to. Honestly. After, when I connect to him and the grace flows, yeah. I don't want it to stop. Yeah. Yeah. After I think, oh, not these declarations again. Not these 40 again. And then after my heart comes alive, I connect to God, I'm getting, just feeling truth is going deep. And afterwards I think, wow, can I do that again? I ask you to stand. Just.